that never gets old. There's something about that that never gets old. I'm going to teach about that in a few moments, but, but first I want to say, especially to those of you that are here with dedication, uh, this is a, an extra special day. We find Sundays around here to be uh, special all the time, but this one above all others. And I've gotten to meet a few of you parents, and I have to say that you look so much more together, like together than Marie and I ever looked on a Sunday morning with our kids when they were that age. But I have to say the happiest people I've seen today are the grandparents. The grandparents are beaming today, and I understand that now that I'm a grandparent. We, we get the best of that entire world. But we were singing this song about uh, this uh, stunning love of God that will um, kick down every wall to, to uh, reach to us. And not only uh, did I find myself stirred because that's what he's done in my life and many of your lives, I was thinking about your children that you've brought today, and you've dedicated that you would, you would pour your life into them coming to know Christ. And the affirmation that, that the love of God um, will be poured out without limit for your uh, son or daughter to come to know him and follow him one day. I found myself thinking this week, because I'm teaching about baptism, thinking about the very first baptism that the harbor had. We were, it was 20 years ago, we were a few months old. We began the church in Bob and Ginger Boone's living room, first service. So probably appropriate, the first baptism, first baptisms were in their swimming pool. And so several months in, I think there were eight people baptized that Sunday, including, I think, the very first person at the harbor to commit their life to Christ, the very first one. And, and I, this memory stuck in my mind. There were probably two dozen people there to celebrate it. Uh, and, and it's lasted for 20 years, not because there were eight people that stepped into a pool and out. I've been to some big public swimming pools, and there have been a jillion people in and out of a pool. It wasn't the deal about stepping into a pool. It was this rich imagery of what it was representing. Uh, you can baptize eight people really quick. <laughs> Those few minutes are burned in my memory as are the minutes of every baptism since then, because there's this rich imagery in it. And so I'm going to touch upon that. I want to, I want to take us back to a baptism that was a long, long time ago and look at, at this particular man's life in baptism, because looking at his life and the things he would write and teach later, uh, we get two things. We get the path to baptism. There's this clear path to baptism that leads one to a point of baptism and then we get this, this uh, very rich symbolism in baptism as well. And so I'm going to go back and look at his with you. But let me give you a definition of baptism first. It is a um, vivid visual image of an astounding spiritual reality. And I haven't picked those words lightly. And I'm not overstating it all. It's this vivid visual image of this astounding. I wish there were a bigger word than that. Uh, one that would, would reach even beyond the term astounding, but there's been this astounding spiritual reality. That's what baptism is. So this man, this man uh, was once named Saul, and his name was changed to Paul after he trusted Christ. Many of you would know about him. Some would know much about him. Uh, I'll be looking at Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 18. And, and first I want to touch on the, the path to baptism. And everyone in this room is somewhere in this sequence. Every single person in this room is somewhere in this sequence. So as I'm describing this, think about the boxes you check. Think about the, the, where you are in this sequence. And, and it begins with this in, in verses 1 and 2 of, of chapter 9. It begins with, with Saul being lost. Not my term, but, but Jesus' term. Jesus would say, unless you trust your life to me, unless you ask me to forgive you and lead you, you're, you're lost because of sin. He talked about this all the time. I would have never picked the term lost 
I'm a gentle, non-confrontational, I'll try to find a really sweet word for you, but Jesus picked lost. And he said that this is what sin does in every single human life, even your precious little kids. Sin. And sin separates us from God. There's this gaping hole. Gaping hole. It keeps us from God. The life he had planned and the eternity that he would yearn for us to have as well. And, and so with, you see it with, with Saul because those, those two opening verses, listen to his sins. He, he had already been in Jerusalem and he had already been rounding up people that trusted Christ in their sin. Their guilt was that they trusted Jesus. And so he was having them rounded up and they were put on trial and many of them were executed for that sin. And some somehow weren't executed. They were imprisoned and beaten and all that. But, but he wasn't satisfied. He, he wanted to like, cleanse his city of every single Christ follower. But that wasn't enough. It says in, in Acts 8, it says that when persecution began, that these followers of Jesus began to scatter. And so now he's gone. He's got an official permission to go all the way to Damascus. If you pick up this old map, you can see it's a long, long ways. It's over 200 miles as the crow flies. And there were, there's no Uber back then. There were no jets back then. It's a long ways. But his mission is to eradicate the planet of every Christ follower and have them executed if need be. That's his sin. He would later say, I'm the, I'm the worst of all sinners. That's his sin. But, and yet he becomes uh, the role model, it seems like, of, of uh, much of the planet as each generation goes by. Lost. And, and so that's, that's part of the pathway. And you either are lost now or you once were lost. One of those fits everyone in this room. You're either, either lost now. In other words, you've never come to a point of saying to Jesus, I believe you are the living son of God. Would you forgive me? Would you lead me? You've never, you've never said that and meant that, which means you're still lost. Or you, you once were lost, and you began a life of trusting Jesus, of surrender to him, one or the other. And then, then the next thing is this. The next sequence in the path is encounter. In verses 3 through 9, Saul with some men with him are on this road to Damascus. And again, many of you would know the story. There's this blinding light from heaven that suddenly appears. It's so strong that, that uh, he, he, he crashes to the ground. And when he's there on the ground, he hears this voice, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He's puzzled. He's startled. He's blown away, probably fearful. Who are you, Lord? Saul said. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. And so they actually, they'll take him into the city in the verses that follow. But it was the very first time, like he was on the Damascus Road. It's become this term down through the centuries about, about where it is that you actually begin to realize for the first time. Or at least there's this, there's this internal gut sense, like rising up within you, that he is the living son of God. He died for me, he rose for me. There's this, there's this sense, whether it feels like it's mental or, or emotion or visceral, it's the place where you first began to realize, I think this just might be true. I was with a group of friends this week, and I, uh, man, it was, turned out to be exciting. I, I said, uh, tell us about the circumstance when you had the encounter with Jesus. And everyone had a Damascus Road story, but they were so varied. Some of them, it was, it was in a moment that like, supernaturally, where there was just like God reached into their soul, or it was external events that they, they looked at and said, there must be a God, or this couldn't happen like this, or it was a sequence of many of those. It was the third one, or the fourth one, or the eighth one, and finally they thought, whoa, whoa, this, this must all be true. Or there were some that, 
that their pathway was that there were some people in their life, maybe it was parents or grandparents, or maybe it was a coach, or maybe it was a small group leader, or maybe it was a neighbor or co-worker, but there were, there were some people in their lives that loved Jesus so much and loved them so much that it became real for them somewhere along the way. And it was, it was a gradual growing thing, but there came a day where they realized through this stunning love of someone else for Jesus, and that love poured into them that it, it's got to be true. It's got to be true. And then there were some others, and they're the intellectuals, obviously, from, but there were some others, or maybe they just come to faith easier than me and maybe you. They just heard. They just heard this good news that Jesus is the Son of God. He came to the planet. He died on a cross for their sins. He paid the price for their sins, and he actually rose from the dead. He's alive now, and he's waiting for you, waiting for them at the time, to say, I I believe that. Would you forgive my sins? Would you lead my life? I'm going to surrender leadership to you, and it happened. And and so um, you have to know this. God is in pursuit of every human being. And so maybe you're sitting there thinking, I I can't identify. I've not had that encounter. There's never been a time in my life where I've had this sense, even this emerging sense of, this just might be true. But the reality is that God, God is pursuing you. And there's a place where Jesus talks about, he's, he's illustrating what God the Father is like and what he himself is like. In fact, it was referenced in this song, Reckless Love of God. It talks about, about Jesus leaving the 99 to find the one, and to find the one who hasn't yet begun to follow him. And so there are a number of you in this room, you're thinking, man, you're talking foreign language. I never felt that. Well, well you, haven't, you haven't yet experienced the encounter of God, but it doesn't mean he's not pursuing you. And, and you might, you might sense the encounter of God today. I mean, you might be sitting here today somewhere in this hour, may have already happened. You might sense, I, I got to pay attention to this because this just might all be true. So there was this encounter that, that Saul had, and, and check yourself in the journey. Have you had that yet? And then it continues on beyond that in verses 10 through 16. Then there's this man, Ananias, that comes into the picture. He lives in Damascus. He's a follower of Jesus, and God speaks to Ananias. And can you imagine getting this news? Uh, God speaks to him and says, uh, hey, you know this guy, Saul. Uh, he's having Christians murdered right and left. He's come here to have all the Christians here murdered. You're one of them. I want you to actually uh, tell you where Saul's at. I want you to go find him. <laughs> and I was just saying, what? Are you listening? Are you, uh, come on, this is crazy stuff. He's going to kill me. And, and, then, and then God says to Ananias, he says, no, I want you to go because Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. And I'll show him how much he must suffer for my namesake. There's this... There's this mission. And that, that's the third part of this, of the pathway. There's this mission. And the reality is that, that God had planned this mission for Saul, Paul, before time began. It was all planned. The only question was, would Saul ever accept it? The reality is, God's planned his mission for you for, before time began. The only question is, will you embrace it, accept it, and pursue it? And so on this one, if you're thinking about the path to baptism, then everyone in this room could say, if you can believe what Scripture says, I'll read you Ephesians 2.10. It says, for we're God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus. This is people who followed Christ. So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Long ago. Everyone in this room 
reality is that, that God already has, he has a pre-planned mission for you. The only question is, will you learn what it is? Will you embrace it? It's part of this pathway in baptism. And then the fourth thing is this, and, and it's wrapped up in verse 17, and it's not explicitly said, but everything else that Paul would write about, everything else scripture says, all that Jesus would say, says this was impacted into what's not said. In, in verse 17, uh, so Ananias uh, goes to, to Paul. It says, so Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's somewhere in that sentence because the next verse, his whole life has been changed. Somewhere in that sentence, Saul has said to Jesus, I, I believe you're the Son of God. Would you forgive me? Would you lead me? And, and that's this step of surrender. That's this step of surrender that he took there, the crucial step of surrender. That's when he began to know Christ. It's when the gap between him and God was closed. It's when everything began to change with him. It's this crucial step of surrender. Have you taken that step on the path to baptism? Have you at some point begun a life where you're trusting Jesus to forgive you, you know you need his forgiveness, and, and you're trusting him to lead. And I know you're not trusting perfectly because none of us yet are, but you know, you know you're trusting him to lead. When, when he speaks, and, and you, learn, you learn from him to speak through scripture or teaching or by the Holy Spirit, when he speaks, your inclination is to want to follow. And I know you don't always, and I don't always, but have you, have you already taken that step to baptism, surrender? And then finally, the final part of the path of baptism is baptism itself. In verse 18, it says, Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes because he'd been blinded on the road. And he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. He was baptized. That's the step that follows surrender. In God's plan in Scripture, when one gets to a point of, of they, they recognize that they have been lost and they've had a point where there was this encounter of sensing, I think this just might all be true. And, and maybe or maybe not, they recognize there's a mission. It's there whether or not they recognize it. They came to a point of surrender. Then biblically, God says, here's, here's one of your first surrenders is be baptized because there's this stunning, like there's this visit, a vivid visual image of astounding spiritual reality in baptism that you you as a person, God wants you to experience that yourself in the water. And God wants you as a spectator to experience it for others as well. So that's, that's the path to baptism that, that would be laid out in, in uh, Acts chapter 9. And, and this is why it matters. Then I want to touch on the second piece of this message. It, it's what that imagery is. What is it representing that is so astounding in the life of one that now follows Jesus? So I'm going to take the life of Paul or his writings, and I'm going to give you five things. And it's a bunch of stuff, but if you have a, a, way to, a means to take notes, you can jot down like five short little deals. And when you're part of baptism in two weeks, if you live locally, if you're part of baptism, then, then these will come back to you. And this, this event will come alive in a new way. First is this. It's this imagery of the forgiveness of sin. In Paul's own life in Acts 22, 16, He's recounting the event of that day on the road to Damascus. And he's, he's quoting what Ananias said to him. What are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. Have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. Have your sins washed away. And, th and there's this reality 
If you haven't gotten this before, hear this. When you trust Jesus, he has totally washed away every single sin of your life, past, present, and future, totally washed away, totally forgiven, without exception, totally all of the guilt completely washed away. And the imagery of baptism is water. And water is one of the main purposes we use it for is to clean up, isn't it? I clean up filth and stench. We use it to wash our clothes and wash our dishes and wash our cars. We use it to wash ourselves. It's one of the main purposes of water, isn't it? And so if you have that in mind and, and you realize there's this astounding reality that simply because someone says, Jesus, I, I trust you. You're my God. You're my leader. Every single sin washed away every single one is the emotion that that elicits when we get it marie and i we've always tried to sort out um just the chores of household or at one time parents and now grandparents and all it changes all the time Uh, but just the way we're wired and and i almost hate to admit this but most of you half of you know it anyway so so right now like this is this is when i'm in my wheelhouse when i do this I, I, I do my own laundry now because I can handle that. A few buttons, put the clothes in, I can do that. And then Marie does some stuff that's uh, harder, like she does home repair, which that, that works great for me then. <laughs> so about, about 10 days ago, I come home and I, Marie has washed my clothes. Uh, there's this basket of clean clothes, and I, I, even right now, I, it's the goosebumps. I, like, how cool, like she washed away the stench and filth on my clothes, and that's an honest emotion. If we get it of Jesus really washing away the stench and filth of every sin, and that's the imagery of baptism, if we get it, if you're baptized in two weeks and you, you step in the water, you ought to be, oh my God. And if you're coming, you're watching, and you're thinking, that person, oh, oh my God. The, the worship should blow the roof off. Second thing is this that's represented, this, this vivid visual imagery is, is new life. Paul would write about it in Romans 6, 4. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. And it's not in the baptism itself. Baptism is representing the spiritual reality. And the spiritual reality is when, when you or I, the moment we began to trust Jesus, the old person we were died. We become a, a new person. There's this change of spiritual DNA. God says he gives us a brand new heart, a brand new spirit. And one of the most tangible, visceral ways we sense it is, is before there were some sins before that we were just so easily bent toward. And now, now those sins were bent the other way. I, I was talking uh, this week with a fairly young man and fairly young Christ follower, and, and we were talking about that. We were talking about uh, maybe whatever struggle we're in in the moment right now, there's just because we're struggling because there's this sin, we, we don't want any part of it. And yet maybe we find ourselves still sinning. And just the fact that, that we were bent away from sin is part of this new life. The reality is we've become a brand new person. 
The old person died, the new person rose. And so in baptism, then at least most of the time we do baptism by immersion, that means you're in a pool with water up to here, and, and we would lower you under the water, as you saw in the picture, and raise you up. Make exceptions to anyone who needs to be baptized with some water put on their head. We can do that. We do that often. But, but there's this visual of it, isn't there? When you see someone in two weeks, when you see them go beneath the water, realize there's a reality that the old them died. The old person died, and they were risen to a brand new life, and now they're living out They're living out this brand new life that Jesus is now pouring himself into and his spirit into as well. There's this brand new life that's that's symbolized by the burying in the water and raising back up again. Third is this. There's this imagery of being united with Christ. In Romans 6, verses 3 and 5, Paul writes, Did you forget that all of us became part of Christ when we were baptized? We shared his death in our baptism. Christ died, and we've been joined with him by dying too. So we will also be joined with him by rising from the dead as well. We were joined to him. We were, we were united with Christ. I taught on Ephesians back earlier this year, and we talked a lot about where it says that when we begin to follow Jesus, then we begin to live in Christ. We talked a lot about living in Christ means he's the environment in which we now live. Just like we live in a local environment. If you live in the Bay Area, Bayer's environment, environment influences you, maybe better or worse, but you're, as a Christ follower, like the, the main, the most intimate, most powerful, most pure, most lasting environment in which we live is Christ. He's the, he's the primary environment in which we live. We live in him, and then there are places where it talks about he lives in us. There's this un, union to Christ, being united to him that's deep and profound. And, and this is the way you can make the connection to baptism I still find this stunning, but, but Jesus himself was once baptized. He had no need to for himself. He's, along with the Father and the Spirit, creator of everything without sin. But to identify with us, to identify with our lives, to identify with our experiences, he was once baptized himself so we could identify with him and his life and his experiences. There could be this union. And so when baptism comes up in two weeks, if just once or twice or three times when you're watching baptism, picture there was actually a day that Jesus Christ was baptized too. There's this imagery in baptism because he was baptized of being united with Christ. There's this imagery of that. Fourth is this. It is the imagery of being united with the body of Christ, the body of Christ meaning the church. In 1 Corinthians 12, 13, it says, Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some slaves, some free. But we have all been baptized into one body, meaning the church, by one spirit. We all share the same spirit. There's this reality that when we become a follower of Jesus, we become a part of God's family. There are a number of people now, many down through the years, that, that I have such a deep bond with, and, and I have almost nothing in common with them. But reality is something I have only one thing in common. We both follow Jesus. And there's this deep, deep bond. And sometimes we have deeply different uh, childhood backgrounds, Deeply different education backgrounds, deeply different experiences of life, deeply different careers, uh, different skin color, on and on and on. But there's this one common thing. We love Jesus, and we are like brothers. It's real. We are united into 
the church, into Christ's church. And, and this is the imagery when we do baptisms at the harbor. There are a few exceptions that we can make when someone wants. We're gladly to accommodate, but we do it with the entire church. And so in two weeks when baptisms are taking place, just, just pause once or twice and look around. Look around at, at all of the people that are here to celebrate because they're part of family. The person being baptized, they didn't become family in the baptism. They became family when they began to trust and follow Jesus. And this is the symbolism. You look around, they're not alone. It's not just them and a pastor. It's not just them and maybe a, a spouse and some grandparents or whatever. Like, there's this, this whole church because we've been united into this church together, and baptism is this visual of that as well. Then final thing is this about imagery. It's that we get the gift of the Holy Spirit. And in Acts 9, 17 and 18, the couple of verses I referred to, I'll read it to you. It says, So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. When we begin to follow Jesus, the Spirit of God begins to live within us. And, and here's the connect to baptism. And you have to be aware of it. You have to imagine it at the time. But when Jesus was baptized, because Jesus was, was living out um, our experience. It says in Matthew 3.16, after he was baptized, when he came up out of the water, it says that the Holy Spirit descended upon him uh, like a dove. And so there's this imagery in the kingdom of God of this dove, and it, it symbolizes the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so if you're here in two weeks and, and you're, you're watching baptisms and you've been connecting with being washed, uh, sins washed away, and connecting with, with dying to the old life and born to a new life, and connecting with being united to Christ because he was once baptized and you picture that, you connect with being united to the church as you look around you. If you would imagine this, just this image of this dove that's the image that the church has carried for 2,000 years of when he was baptized. It says the Spirit descended upon him. And when someone begins to follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit begins to live within them. And baptism is this further rich experience as we remember Jesus' experience in baptism. So in two weeks, there's going to be this vivid visual image of an astounding spiritual reality that occurs over and over and over again. And I, I think so. I think there'll be more than one. Um, and we've had uh, sometimes single digits. We've had as many as 140 on a given day. The number doesn't matter. Uh, you saw maybe some shirts that said one life at a time. The, uh, Jesus leaves everyone in a sense, not that he does. He's painting pictures for us. But as only God could do, like the, the full effort of his pursuit and love is upon the one. And again, I don't know who will be baptized. If, if it's one person, it's going to be a stunning day. God's eyes and in, in our eyes as well because, because there will be this vivid visual image of what's happened in their life. So let me ask you this. Then process with me. Do it in your mind. I'm not going to have you raise your hand or shout out. Where are you on the path to baptism? Where are you on the path? Lost? And you can check it one way or the other. You can check and say, well, I still am. I, I, I haven't begun to follow Jesus. I haven't surrendered leadership to him. Or you once were, but no longer because of your following of Jesus. Have you had an encounter, like the Damascus Road experience? Have you had that encounter 
Was there a time, maybe you don't even remember exactly when, maybe it's kind of a blur, was there a time it began to, you began to realize oh, this whole thing just might be true? Have you had that? You have had a mission assigned for you. Uh, whether you have recognized that or not, whether you're engaged in it or not, you have had a mission assigned to you. So just think about, well, okay, you know, Bible says that's the reality. There's this mission. Again, you may or may not be aware of it. So you can check. I've got one. Have you surrendered leadership of your life to Jesus yet? If you've had that encounter moment or season where you sense, I think it just might be true, then but you've not yet surrendered. You are on the edge of the door. Hey, you're just one profound step away of saying, I've been sensing this, and I'm going to take the step. Hey, you could take it now. You could take it right now. You could say, I've, I've been wrestling with this. And maybe it's, maybe it's been for 30 minutes you've been wrestling. Maybe it's been for 30 years. But, but you could take that step now. And on the chance, the very real chance that, that that's the case of someone here or someone's here, I want to pause and pray right now and then wrap up my thoughts on it. I want to pause and pray right now. So if you all bow with me, Father, I, I, Father, I pray right now for, the, for everyone in this room, and I suspect there are many, they, they've had the encounter, meaning they've had a sense that everything about Jesus is really true. He came, died for them, rose for them. He's alive. They have this sense that, that they, are, they are lost without him. They will be lost into eternity without him. But they've never taken the this, this step, Father. May they now, you say, all we need is faith the size of a mustard seed. May they have just enough authentic faith now to say, Jesus, I've, I've, been, I've been on the edge of this. Now I ask you to forgive my sins. Now I ask you to lead my life. I'm surrendering leadership to you. Be, be my Lord. Be my Savior. And Father, I know, most of us here know the reality. For any that one who's done that now, everything has changed. Sins washed away. Brand new life begun. United with Christ, united with the church. Holy Spirit already given. All of that's already happened. All the stuff that baptism will, will one day symbolize, be imagery of, it's all already happened. So on the, on the chance, maybe the likelihood that's happened now, we thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've done that, tell someone today, maybe someone you came with, uh, there's a prayer team, you could tell them, you could catch me, tell me, tell someone today about it. And then also, if you, you would consider texting the word life, to the number 63566. We can get back to you and, and uh, like help you along the way as much as you would have us help you along the way. But if that's been you, then I would encourage that. So I, the, my final thought is this. If, if you have surrendered leadership to Jesus but not yet been baptized, baptism, it's the next step of obedience. You've said to him, lead me. I'll do whatever you say. Well, he says, take the step of baptism. Take that step. And so if you've surrendered in the last like five minutes, that this is you. If you surrendered 30 years ago, but not been baptized since then, this is you. So in two weeks, Baptism Sunday, uh, two weeks from now, there'll be one service. It'll be a 10 a.m. service. We'll have this uh, baptism in here. It's going to be, there'll be this imagery again and again and again, and it would be you. 
Now, there'll be a point where you step into the pool here in this room. You step into the pool. And, and all of that imagery, it can all come vividly to life within you. Because it's your new reality following Jesus then. Why would you not be obedient? Again, the criteria, the biblical criteria as we best understand it is, is if you have surrendered leadership to Jesus and not been baptized since that time, then this is his command to you. And it is a grace to you. It is a gift to you. It is an unforgettable moment to you. So if that's you when the service ends in just a few moments, as you, as you go through the doors to the outside, you can take a left down the sidewalk and there'll be some tables there. Simple sign up. This is for adults. Students have another pathway, and if, if you haven't already been down that, then you can contact on the back of the program, student ministry, website, student ministry. This is for adults out of high school, beyond high school. This is for them. You can, you can sign up out here. And then I would say this to everyone here, invite liberally. If you're coming just to, to celebrate it, then invite liberally. If you're coming to be baptized, invite all your friends and family and so forth. It's this massive celebration. And when the, when the event is done in this room, as we've done for 20 years now, there'll be this party that explodes outside. And there'll be this feast of food, and there'll be games for kids, and there'll be this celebration, this little mini celebration of the celebration in heaven of what happened the moment you touched Christ. And so, so that's where we're headed with baptism. And I, I hope, I hope, I hope that this has prepared you, wherever you are, this has prepared you for two weeks from now. I hope two weeks from now, if you're being baptized or you're observing baptism, I hope you, you experience in a brand new, vividly visual way. Because those being baptized, everything about their life is being altered. Everything. And this event represents that. So let me pray. We'll have some final comments, and, and we'll, uh, we'll close our morning. Father, thank you for um, the gift that comes in following Jesus. Thank you for creating, as you did through Christ, creating this um, event of baptism that gives us a visual. Visuals help us remember, help us understand. Visuals grab our emotions and our heart like mere words can. Thank you for that. Uh, may everyone here be responding as you've led. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Rick.